Hello, my fellow limpers. This is your host, Jordan Ross, and thank you for listening to another episode of the What's Your Limp podcast. Today I'm talking to Julio Cedillo, and uh, he's an excellent actor. He, he has appeared in films like Cowboys and Aliens, uh, Sicario, he was in Narcos Mexico, uh, Three Burials with Tommy Lee Jones, the list goes on and on, uh, and he has worked with some of the most prestigious and and iconic actors and filmmakers in the biz. But one of the cool things about his story is that he never took the the common route of moving out to LA or New York in order to pursue his dreams. He stayed here in Dallas Fort Worth and uh, made it all happen from home. So uh, that was kind of a cool and inspiring story as as an actor that lives in Fort Worth myself and uh, you know I'm trying to carve out, a career that's half as impressive as Julio's talking to him about that was was definitely encouraging. But yeah, I've actually I've known Julio for a few years now, not super well, um, but we went to the same uh, acting school in Dallas, which we touch on in the episode. It was uh, it's KD Conservatory and it's an accredited program. It's just a 15 month associate's degree program. Years after I graduated, I went back to uh, teach some of the kids acting classes and to do admissions there. And that's whenever I first met Julio. He came to visit the school one day and we just started talking. So then I reached out to him once I started this podcast and asked if that'd be something he'd be interested in doing. And he said, yeah, so uh, he he did it. And the cool thing is we actually got to do it in person uh, in the studio that I use in Dallas, which is MZ Studio. They're great people over there. If you need a studio space, I highly recommend going there because they have great rates, really great service, and they're just awesome guys. I've known Michael, who who runs the studio for a really, really long time, um, but the people that he has working with him, like Spider and, and everyone else, they're all great. So yes, go to MZ Studio. Anyway, it was nice getting to do an in-person interview. It was the first in-person interview I've done since the second episode when I interviewed my grandpa. So that was really cool. And Julio is just a, a really warm, kind guy, which you wouldn't really expect if you know him from Sicario or Narcos Mexico. He plays these pretty intimidating characters, uh, but that couldn't be further from who he is in real life. Uh, he is just a giant teddy bear. He's the biggest sweetheart, and I'm so, so thrilled that I got to sit down and get to know him a little better. I'm, I'm excited for all of you to listen to my conversation with Julio, and uh, since this is kind of a longer episode, I'm going to cut right to the chase and dive right into it. So sit back, enjoy this intro music by the great Devin Levi. Go give him a follow at Devin Levi Music, and enjoy this conversation with actor Julio Cedillo. I'm here with an old friend, Julio Cedillo. Uh, thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate it. Oh, definitely. And uh, it's kind of nice to be staring at another person rather than doing it through Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's why I was really glad whenever you said that you wanted to do it in person because I have like five or six in the can that I haven't released yet um, and several others that I, I have released, I think seven so far. And I've only done one other one in person. Uh, and it was my grandpa, someone I already see all the time. So, And I got to tell you, I'm honored because I'm a huge fan of your grandfather. Yeah. I, I got to work with him on a campaign for U.S. savings bonds. And I uh, got to ride horses with him in Palo Duro Canyon. Right. And then uh, in a studio here in Las Colinas and uh, with a big bear. And uh, this, this big bear uh, was not fed for a reason. So, you know, you can taunt him with food to do what you wanted. That bear didn't care about that. It wanted to eat now. Yeah. And uh, when it got a little, it got a little aggressive. <laughs> Everybody scrambled except your grandfather. He yeah. stayed put, <clears throat> and it was great to watch him. And I thought, yeah, he's the real deal, man. Yeah. No, he's. He, it takes a lot to uh, to phase him. And you sent me that picture of him with his horse, and uh, his that horse was named Misty. And oh, I see. She was one of the because we grew up on a farm with with all of his horses, and and me and my sister had horses. And that Misty was one of the best horses I, I've ever been around. She was so 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 cool. Well, um, you, you could you could see that that interaction like. Yeah, you know, it's it's like some people say horses are like dogs, right? Yeah, and uh, yeah, <laughs> Misty 
Misty loved Barry, you know. Right. He, but uh, no, it was great. So, so to be able to uh, do this in person, yeah. it's awesome. So, thanks for inviting me. I really appreciate of it. Of course, of course. I'm I'm honored that you you accepted. Before we get into acting and everything, uh, I saw that you moved to the U.S. when you were four from Mexico. Yes. Yeah, so my mother um, met my father when I was just a, a baby. My mother was a single mother. And so my dad, uh, who is from, who is from South Texas, mm -hmm. from Hebronville, Texas, um, he was a truck driver. And so okay. he went down into Mexico and, uh, you know, went to this little boutique place. And my mom was working there at the time, single mom. And all of a sudden he forgot what his waist size was. <laughs> 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 so my mother has to come out and, you know, measure his waist and his inseam and, that was his way of flirting. Yeah. <laughs> Make a long story short, they fell in love. And so my dad would, you know, would come and visit my mom and, and, uh, they, uh, they, they got married, but my mother did not want to come to the U S Yeah, and mind you, I wasn't even a year old when my, my dad met my mom and, um, and I call him my dad because he's the one who raised me. Right. Right. And, uh, so about when I was about four years, well, four going on to five, my dad finally convinced my mother, I can't live this way. You know, I keep driving down here. You know, you're my wife. You need to, we need to go. Oh, so they were married before they ever like even lived together. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So my dad would, he loved her so much. He would drive down, visit. Wow. he would work all week and then spend the weekends with her and then got to see me grow up, you know? And, yeah. uh, and then, so he finally, he finally had to say, look, you got to do this or it's, you know, not going to work out. Right. And so my mother said, okay, well, I'm ready. And so we, uh, we moved to a little small town called Ty, Texas outside of Abilene. Okay. And, uh, it's a little truck stop town basically. And it still is. There's not yeah. much there in Ty, Texas. And we were there for about six to eight months. And then my dad, my dad was a truck driver. So the plant in Abilene, they were, they were building another one, uh, another branch of it in Fort Worth. Nice. And that's how we ended up in Fort Worth. And I was almost going on five. Okay. Five years old. And so I, I, I was put into like a pre-K school when we were in Thai. And that's how I started to learn how to speak English. Um, okay. So I learned kind of quick, but, you know, I, had, I still had a really thick accent. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, I grew up in Fort Worth. And I, yeah. and I, and I lived there now. I mean, people think that because of all the work that- You're off in Hollywood or something. Yeah. Like well, yeah, it's kind of weird. Like now, like, like you yourself, you know, working on, on the film. I mean, like you just mentioned, we, we, we had a conversation before we started here. Yeah. That you were shooting in Utah. You know, and uh, yeah, it's it's kind of the same thing. You're you know, you're just just go where the work is, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, but you can still be based out of your home place. But that's right. that's very rare for people. I'm seeing people from California moving away, mm -hmm. right? Because now they can. Yeah. Before they felt stuck, and that's where I have several friends who've left yeah. California now. Same. One's moving to Austin. One just moved to Arizona. Right. Um, even a good friend, Walton Goggins, really great actor. So uh, good. From, he just left. He moved to New York. Wow. Uh, Hudson Valley. Wow. About a big place out there. So it can be done. It's just that, you know, we're, we're seeing the writing in the wall that, hey, we can do it. We can be based out of anywhere. Yeah. We don't have to make that trek to LA or New York. I think it's, it's hard because you feel like you have to be in LA, especially when you're first starting out because you're like, that's where the opportunities are. And to an extent, I, I agree. But now, like we talked about before as well, everything is self-tape nowadays. Every audition, like at least for the first round or two. Yeah. Um, and you don't really need to be out there as much as maybe you did before. And uh, especially after the pandemic, I hope that one thing that comes out of it is that things are a little more remote and you can do things from wh where you don't have to be there. Like that, that doesn't have to be the the you know heart of the industry necessarily i, right, I hope right. it can be more spread out and and evenly distributed around the u.s because well you, know. you yeah and you hit the nail on the head because i really believe that like you know i didn't move out to la because i i wanted a certain quality of life yeah but that also meant i was sacrificing part of my career to some extent at least that's what i believed then yeah and then looking back in hindsight it's like no actually it worked out because i've been able to get a lot of roles that typically aren't being cast through here mm -hmm. i was getting them through la uh through different um relationships that i've had over the years managers friends actors producers uh, i was engaged people and i create relationships and then that's how work s starts to pop up right? right but um you know it's 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 a it's a thing now where you don't have to live there but 
I did it by default. I, I wanted to yeah. stay here and, and raise a family. And now I see my friends leaving California wanting to do that. And they use me as a reference like, oh, look, Julio did it. He did this and this and this, but he still lives in Texas. Well, yeah, yeah but it wasn't, that wasn't my, my plan. My plan was, no, I'm staying put no matter what happens to my career. Yeah. You know, and that was a hard pill to swallow, but you know, my family came first and it still does. Right. You know what I mean? That's admirable. That's, uh, cause it, that's one of the hardest parts about this industry is balancing everything. Cause it can take a lot of, of your time. And, you know, like whenever I was in Utah, I was there for six weeks and, and my son had just been born and my wife, it was during a pandemic. So my wife was stuck at home with three kids, five and under for six weeks. You guys, you guys were shooting during the pandemic? And yeah. Yeah. We oh were, we were one of the few productions still going. We got tested almost every day and it was, uh, we were in our own bubble and that's why I couldn't travel back home. I had finished two seasons on Narcos Mexico. Right. As, uh, as, uh, Comandante Calderoni, who's a federal police officer. I'd worked two seasons on that show and then I ended up getting another uh, regular uh, uh I saw on on a show called Coyote with Michael Chiklis yeah. and uh and so we were into six episodes I had shot two already I was I needed to finish four four other episodes uh, that my character was in and and then the pandemic happened and then yeah. we got shut down and then that was it and then I came home I hadn't worked and the last I would say fun job as an actor was in December and I and that was during COVID. So that's my only, you know, not unlike your yeah. experience, which was really long and, you know, you you guys are still pushing yeah. through a season. Uh, now I just worked two days on a movie called The Harder They Fall, uh, starring Idris Elba and Regina King and oh, cool. Jonathan Majors. Is, that's but, a Western, right? Yeah, it's a Western and it's an all black cast. Uh, and the uh, director, James Samuel, his brother is uh, the singer Seal. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's but, cool. but James is a phenomenal uh, musician and, and composer and like the guy's a, a musical genius. And I believe he was, he was also partly responsible for the Great Gatsby uh, soundtrack or okay. I believe that's what it was. But anyway, this was his first time directing a feature. He had directed, uh, I think, one or two shorts. And, um, and he was great. But, you know, when we're all covered up with masks and it's weird, it's just weird, you know, and then having to pull the mask off, you know, and then and then the funny part about this was I remember they had harnessed me up because there's a gun. We have a gunfight in this chapel. And of course, I play a uh, I play this uh, priest named Jesus. Nice. <laughs> I'm like, OK, that's stretch. That's a bit much. but yeah. OK, we'll do it. But I was known as El Escorpion, you know, the scorpion. And obviously, I'm not a nice priest. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a, a gunfight, and I have this harness on, and um, we have these uh, COVID compliance officers that come up. They have their little fluorescent vests, and then they come up, and they say, excuse me, you guys need to socially distance. And, and I'm looking at him, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me, man. There's five guys pulling on a cable, yeah. right? It's a pulley system. So when you get shot, all they do is just yank on that. All five of them have to pull you up. So you go flying across the room. Right. And uh, I looked at him and I said, are you got to be kidding me? I said, how am I going to fly from here to there? And, I'm, and it takes five guys to lift me and pull me across the room. Yeah. You know? But but it, but it was them still trying to do the right thing during COVID. But right. part of it is just like, look, I mean, we're doing the best we can. And, yeah. And I certainly, uh, in my family, you know, we certainly locked down. We certainly took it serious. We yeah, had, same. I mean. I I feel like being decent is really what this whole thing was about. Yeah. No matter how you vote, you you have every right to vote the way you want. You yeah. have every right. You have every right to want to be heard. I mm -hmm. believe in that wholeheartedly. But at the end of the day, are you being selfish? Yeah. Right. And so, you know, in your experience in Utah, uh, no people were taking care of each other right. and on this set we were taking care of each other it's an unknown but if we do our part we're going to be fine right you know what i mean yeah i think that's that's so important because it's uh i think a lot of it was was pride and and stubbornness you know not like being told what to do or mm. or feeling like on both sides it's like if i wear a mask they're going to think i vote this way if i don't wear a mask they're going to think well, I vote this like all this stuff well, it's, it's true like, it's true it's so weird because they you know they're everyone's hanging on to their flag yeah right yeah and so so like now like you know you're vaccinated i'm vaccinated uh for all for all personal reasons right right, right? yeah yeah uh, i certainly not going to tell people what to do but at the end of the day like i was wearing a mask forever yeah and now that i'm not wearing it 
there are people who are wearing masks who are not going to get vaccinated. Yeah. So it's inverse now. Yeah. And it's so bizarre. And it's like, I told my kids, I said, look, we have to protect people. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, we, we have to be decent and that's the way we handle ourselves. So yeah. in some places you, you still have to wear your mask and in some places you won't have to. Right. But you're vaccinated. And that part is the part that allows us to ease off yeah. and just get back to some normalcy. A new normal, obviously. Yeah, yeah. It's there's there's changes, but it's it's been nice to get back into the groove of things yeah. a little bit. And as um, an and as actors, you yeah, know, that that helps us too because, for sure. You know, now we can walk onto a set. And look, hey, I'm fully vaccinated. Because last yeah. year, I had I had heard a story that on soap operas they had they had actors kissing mannequins. Whoa! Yes, that's hilarious. Yes, so I guess the reverse shot. You know, they would have a wig, and yeah. the guy would have to caress the back of the hair that's before so he goes funny. in to kiss, and then they cut back and forth, and it, you, you'll never get a side view of them kissing because this yeah. is not going to happen. But they they were doing that sort of stuff, you know. Wow! But going back to whenever you moved here, you said you were. That's whenever around you started to learn English once you got into to preschool and everything. Um, I was wondering is so as. Someone who moved here from from Mexico, there, there's definitely a Americans kind of like we talked about. There's a prideful, like it being proud of being an American, or, and especially Texans. It's the same thing, the Texan pride. Um, and there's a lot to be proud about about being an American or a Texan or whatever. But with that, I think there's also a little bit of um, ego that comes with it sometimes. And there's a little bit of like. Uh, there's definitely sectors of our society and some people that may view uh, immigration or immigrants, whether they're here legally or illegally, as less than or, you know, um, look down on it in a, in a way. So I was wondering if you as a kid, uh, if you ever experienced anything like that growing up, if you ever felt like this need to prove yourself as someone who came here from another country. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. all of that. I mean, I think, you know, when I first came here, um, I mean, again, I was just a kid, right? And I remember my dad telling me, you know, this is the greatest country in the world, which is, you know, which is just a very patriotic thing to say. Yeah. But, you know, when you're young, you you take it in, you know, you, you don't question it. You just say, yeah, it is. And then also being an immigrant in some ways, um, I had more to prove, mm-hmm. right? To, 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 to say, hey, I'm, I'm, um, I'm glad to be here and let yeah. me show you why. Let me show you how I'm going to earn it. Yeah. Right. And so you do that, but I think I think the problem with that is that we forget that this country was built by you know, by immigrants, yeah. right? And so now, I mean, I'm 51 now. So by the time I, you know, coming here when I was five, and now I'm 51, I can certainly tell you a lot of things have changed in my mind. Yeah. And it didn't take the pandemic. I already had figured out a lot of stuff in my life before this pandemic thing. It's not like it was a revelation. Um, for me, I feel like identity politics is a problem mm. i think when you start attaching yourself to like i'm all, I, I let me back up so it's not a confusing answer i am from mexico i am a mexican mm-hmm. right I'm, I'm mexican i became a citizen in this country when i was 30 and i did it for good reason because i love this country uh, I'd, I'd hate for something to happen i get in a car wreck and all of a sudden i go to court before you know it i'm being told to leave the country right yeah and i was a resident alien i had a resident alien card and i was proud of that i thought well i'm a mexican and and and, and there was some pride in that i'm proud to be a mexican but i'm also right. proud to be an american but one of the things that i've i felt along the way as a as a man and also that parlays into my acting because a lot of the the roles that i've gotten are roles that most actors who are uh, Mexican American or Latino actors wouldn't want, mm-hmm. you know, the drug lord, the dr- the gang member. I mean, on Walker Texas Ranger, I played a gang member, but it was a it was a reform gang member. I mean, Walker was just a fairy tale of a story, you know. I mean, Walker, the, the, you know, a lot of things were a little whitewashed for for my for my taste at right. times. But at the same time, it's a good message. But going back to what I was saying about being an immigrant, I I feel like we're all trying to figure out who we are. Mm-hmm. So as we're trying to figure out who we are, we start attaching ourselves to groups and to people, and then you start you start playing with those ideas, ideals, right? And then and then you start to realize, oh, I really don't believe that. Oh, wait a minute, yeah. I don't th- I don't really believe that either. And then then you realize, wait a minute, you're starting to figure out who you are and what you like and what you want in life. And at the end of the day, that's that's even more important. Right. Because I can't help others if I haven't helped myself. 
Yeah. And that's the same way I approach my acting. So when I'm having to read for gang members or drug lords or this, and I remember friends who are no longer actors, by the way, who were, you know, would call them, you know, they would call themselves Latino actors. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wait, aren't you an actor? Yes. Then why are you a Latino actor? Yeah. You know, it's like, no, you're just an actor who happens to be Latino. Yeah. I'm a short actor. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Uh, Or a Texas actor. What the heck does that mean? Right. And so to me, so I would say, look, just focus on the work. Focus on the acting mm-hmm. because, uh, and then, and then, then when the roles would come in for a lot of the actors to audition for, you know, like I said, the gang members, immigrants, blah, 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 they would complain. They'd spend more time complaining than trying to figure out how to put out a convincing, more rooted and grounded audition. Yeah. Right. They wouldn't. I'm not saying my choices were, there's no right or wrong choices. Yeah. They're just different choices. Now it might not hit the nail on the head, but. You know, it's a choice. Yeah. Acting is, you know, these are just, it's, it's, it's chemistry, right? And so I would look at something and go, well, actually I can relate to this. And so I would, I would change uh, the dialogue. Yeah. On the auditions and the script. I don't know. That doesn't make sense. I'm going to change this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to change that. I do that too. Yeah. Yeah. And we should. And it's an audition. Now, you know, we were too busy, you know, when you're an actor and you've been, you know, when we went to acting school, we went to the same school, you and I. Yeah. Um, you know, you you feel like you got to please people. Mm-hmm. You know, you 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 want to you don't want to mess up. You want to you want to be able to shine and 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 hope people like yeah. your work. And you you know you want to be validated. So you kind of keep your mouth shut. Well, I learned not to do that yeah. because I started to see that there was a lot of things that didn't click. With I knew what they wanted, but it wasn't on the page. Yeah. So so what I would tell my friends who were you know the uh, Latino actors, I would say, you guys will never make a difference if you spend more time complaining right you can be an activist if you want but it's much better to do it in your work yeah and let the work speaks speak for you yeah and so then when you're on the inside and you get cast okay then you can start making recommendations yeah. you can have you can really engage people that's what i've done through my whole career and that's going back to we talked about you and i talked about zoom calls and and and, and auditioning you know, on, well, through tapes, right, that you have to send in. Uh, we don't have that human experience. Um, you, you're going to be relied upon for more, yeah. right? And so as an actor, I think it's important that, you know, you, you can make a difference, not be, not hold back and say, look, if I'm going through this extra effort, <laughs> light myself, get a good microphone, get a, you know, get a decent shot of this audition, right? why am I going to then give you the washed up the wash the, the the washed up version right of my culture yeah back to you i want to be engaging i want to i want to be part of the process i want to be able to collaborate that happened to me on cowboys and aliens uh-huh. you know that had when uh the i had an audition uh, for the role of bronc he's okay. the only mexican cowboy in that whole movie and that's right yeah. <laughs> it takes place in arizona in the 1800s yeah. you tell me there were no mexicans come on and so but the fun the great thing was that the casting director had had a uh, you know had a good idea of looking for this character because they you know, the character's bronc it was phonetically written sort of in that excuse my my phrasing but this is the only thing I could think of sort of that redneck hey y'all hey y'all hey boss what you doing and, and it was written phonetically that that way and the, when they sent me the audition and I'm thinking look at me I would I think it would be an interesting choice if I if I did the audition that way yeah. right. But there, no, no, I'm going to give them something they don't have, which is what I'm going to play it as a Mexican man. Yeah. <laughs> so I changed the dialogue, wrote it in Spanish and sent it in. And it was great because then once I was on the inside, I, I could, I could, I could, uh, you know, I could mention or uh, suggest things that would make it, you know, more believable. Yeah. And so that's what I've done my whole career. That's cool. And I think too, you mentioning like not turning down or or getting upset about those opportunities. And instead, like even just in your performance, you can bring a character that may have been written as more, you know, one dimensional or, you know, may, may not be fully fleshed out or maybe stereotypical in certain ways, but you can add depth in your performance and you can add humanity in your performance and help those characters. Like you said, become more believable and truthful and relatable. And, uh, I think, 
that's apparent because you've played a lot of of bad guys and you know a lot of uh people that have done some really bad things but one thing i always notice whether it's sicario or narcos or whatever i i notice that you you do bring a humanity to them where i always care about your characters on some level even if they're they're a horrible person wow. or done horrible wow. things and i appreciate that yeah man. i really do i think uh there's there's a big range in the characters you play but there's a common thread that i care about them and i think that's you know one of the highest compliments you 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 can give an actor is because you as an actor have to care about the characters you're playing yeah and well it comes across well i appreciate that and i think you know and by the way i love love the title of the podcast which is what's your limp and my limp is literally um i'm hard, i'm really hard on myself mm-hmm. you know when you walk on a set you know is man I'm, you know I, I i you know i hope people will like me yeah and i and i and i do want to do a good job i i you know uh being an actor is about a sense of purpose right it's not about some kind of weird fame or followers or all that crap that, that we're seeing nowadays yeah and so for me i want to be able to walk off a set and feel like i i had an impact that i affected people right um and and, and without being all weird about it mm-hmm. I, I like people you know uh, I've been around actors that are very, you know, we all have a method. Yeah. We all have a me- our own method. And I can tell when certain actors need to be left alone. I can tell when actors need you. I mean, I have, I've, I've been doing this for so long, for 32 years, that I, I can pretty much read what, what actors need. And then, and then myself, I know what I need. Yeah. Because you know, there's actors that will take away your energy, others that won't. But when I walk onto a set, I want to do a good job. And the way I get through that process um, because I do want to ground everything I do. And I appreciate you saying that because I feel like I want to be as believable as possible. Cause when you get in there, not only do you want the dialogue to sound natural, which is fine, yeah. but that's not really, that's I mean, just a small part of that's it. just such a tiny part of it. Yeah. The other part is, you know, are you really inhabiting the role? Are you really, are you really understanding the dynamics of the camera move, your energy, you know, cause there's also tone. Yeah. You know, my, my voice is in the little higher, reg- kind of mid to high register. Um, you talked about, you know, growing a beard and it doesn't come all out. It took me forever to grow a beard and a mustache. Yeah. And even then, like you said, I mean, they're filling mine in. So I didn't even grow into my man body until I was much older. I've always played older than I am. Right. You know, and that's where people go, wow, you have an age. Well, no, because I've been playing old, you know, <laughs> guys older than me. I'm catching up now. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, it's one of those things where it's about tone. It's about, you know, physicality. It's still actor work. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> and also learning how to relax. Mm-hmm. But when I go on set, I'm really nervous. I, and, and I own it. That's the first thing I tell myself is like, all right, man, hey, chill out. Yes, you're going to work with Harrison Ford today. Or yes, you're right. going to work with Benicio. Or yes, Tommy Lee Jones. You know, <clears throat> I can have that all day, but I'm not there to be a, f- yes, I'm a, I'm a fan of their work. But if I allow myself to go there any further in that mindset, yeah. I'm going to ruin myself. You have so to remind I, yourself you have something to offer. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I would assume the same thing happens as well. I think all, all actors go, go through this when you when you serve the story. Mm-hmm. That is your greatest purpose. Yeah. Right. And then when the other actor who's number one on the call sheet or number two, and they look at you like, oh my goodness, like wow you know and then they have to up their game that feels really good right? yeah. it feels good because you you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do but it's not there to do something strange to call attention to yourself or you're not doing something to distract anyone you're there because you want to you want to amplify that story how right. and do your part to to a level that they didn't even expect yeah right and that's usually nuanced work right <clears throat> and so that's important and i try to ground it you know myself and everything I do as much as possible. Yeah, it's apparent. I think it's it's really cool. You were talking about you have your you're really hard on yourself. You're your own worst critic, and, mm-hmm. and I think we all are. And um, one thing that I think is interesting about a lot of the roles you've played is that a lot of them are very sure of themselves. A lot of them have oh. a lot of <laughs> yeah. of self confidence, and and um, for like again, Sicario being this this drug lord who you know is is like the boss he's the one that that has all of the power maybe not in that scene but playing those roles where you're you're just sure of yourself you're there's this confidence there's this um ownership of of the space that you're in 
the few times I've gotten to do that, it's been really interesting because I'm really hard on myself as well. And typically, I, I'm a little more, you know, timid, and and I've been known to let people walk on me at times and stuff like that. So when I get to play a role that's like, no, I'm in control, I'm in power, it's really kind of cathartic because I'm I'm getting to make believe that I have this this uh, you know confidence of myself that that I normally don't. And uh, I was wondering, is that true for you as well? For me. Uh, like I said earlier, is that I want to be able to serve the story. So yeah. I want, I, no matter what I'm thinking, I really want to be clear on what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. And then not just do the basic part of the scene for myself, but to take it to another level. Because mm-hmm. it's, a, you know, I feel like, I feel like I, you know, I'm a thinking man and, yeah. I, and I want that to come across. And, and sometimes it does, sometimes not, maybe, maybe not so much. But in, in Sicario, I actually auditioned for the role of a police officer. And uh, he's the one that gets killed. Uh, sorry, spoiler alert. But one of the, <laughs> it's been out long yeah, enough. Yeah, it's been out long enough. Uh, that one of these uh, officers gets killed in it. And he's just trying to raise a family, but he, he gets caught up in, in the drug the drug right. trade. And I was, I was excited because I thought there's going to be a lot of days working on this movie. And uh, I get an email being told that, no, they, don't, they want you to play Fausto Alarcón, who's the drug lord. And I'm like, what? Oh, my gosh. You know, this only works two days. And. The other one worked a lot more days, and I would have also qualified for my SAG insurance. You know, right, yeah. I mean, I was thinking of all those things, right? And so I, I say, well, um, all right, well, have them send me the sides. I mean, I don't even know who this character is because they never released the whole script. So I read the, I read the role of Fausto Alarcón, and the original scene is Benicio comes to the kitchen, stabs my hand with a fork that goes through, the, through my hand into the table. He shoes away my kids with their grandmother, uh-huh. and now he's asking me, "Should I let my wife live, or should I, or should I uh, should I live?" And I have to make that choice as a drug lord. And wow. he's got my face on the, on the on the table. And and when I read that scene, I thought, "Why would I do this scene? I'm just going to be a punching bag. There's nothing. There's nothing. There's no human quality here." I mean, look, the guy's a drug lord, but he still has children. Yeah, and he at least have the dignity, of, and he's a wealthy guy, so uh, he's not—he's not the peons, right? And so um, I, I just told myself, no, I'm not going to do this. This is insane. I, there's plenty of actors who would love to do this. I'm out. I don't want to do it. Yeah. And so I got—I uh, told the agency, and they—they they just thought I've lost my mind. And they said it's you know it's Denis Villeneuve, and I'm like, I know, I know, I want to work with him. Oh my gosh, he's my favorite filmmaker. Working he's amazing. So and uh, and so I—I I just said no, and. Um, so the casting director, Jordan Bolin, called and said, look, <laughs> you sure about this? Because they really like you. They want you to do this. I said, no. So I told her why. I said, look, I mean, the guy got, you know, he has no redeeming qualities. He's about to give up his wife that quick to save himself. His kids were, you know, shooed away by this hitman. I mean, the guy's just a hopeless sap. I mean, he's, there's, there's nothing there to work with. And she said, well, if, you know, I'll let Denny know. And, uh. He'll, uh, he'll call you. I said, okay. Well, I never got the call. And uh, weeks went by. Weeks went by. And I was in Colorado with my kids and my wife on a you know, quick little vacation. And then I get a phone call. My son answers it. And he says, Dad, there's a man on the phone named Den- Dennis? Den-? I was like, oh, what? I grabbed the phone and, and it's like, Julio, this is Denny. I'm like, Denny, oh, Denny, oh, my God, Denny, how are you? And uh, he 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 said, I want to talk to you about the role. And I said, before you say anything, I, and I told him, you know, I said, I love your films. I said, you're an amazing director. I would do almost anything to work with you, but I can't do this. And I'm going to explain to you why. And I went through it all with him. Yeah. Why? And he said, uh, well, that's exactly why we want to work with you. He said, we loved your audition and uh, I can get you to talk to Benicio and uh, we'll figure it out, blah, 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 you know. I said, okay. I was so, and I said, of course, definitely, I will do it. Yeah. Well, a couple of weeks went by, and I never got a call from Benny with Benicio. I, I wasn't flown out to go talk to Benicio. No, I got called the day, they, I got called uh, a day or two before we had to film. Wow. And uh, and I was like, that's crazy. Okay. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, you know, we're going we're gonna to figure this out on set. Now, when I get there, we do a fitting. And then, um, you know, I, I'm asking for the, the script. 
And then I get the script and it's the same scene. And I'm so livid. Like I'm literally thinking this is insane. And so, and, and, and so once I'm on set, I'm not going to cause a scene. I'm, I don't want to bring in bad energy. You know, it's still, yeah. it's still a set. I am, I'm art, but I am upset because no one respected my wishes. I almost felt manipulated into being, you know, showing up. And then, um, uh, someone in production, I said, Hey, I got to have a script, please. They said, well, they're going through rewrites. So we'll, you'll probably get it tonight. So I was up all night and I'm thinking I'm up all night knowing that I got to film tomorrow, something I don't even know what I'm doing. So you didn't get that scene until the night before. Yes. Wow. And so when I get the scene, there's two versions. There's one where he kills, uh, he only kills me and my wife and kids live. And then, then there's the one where he kills all of us. There were a mesh of those two scenes. Ah. And then we threw in a few lines that were not scripted to each other. You know, I think one was, I said, it's not personal. And then he says, uh, but for me it is. Right. Uh, you know, and so, so we played around with it, but it took two days, two nights to do that. But like I said earlier, it wasn't about that I didn't want to play a drug lord because, you know, I'm, I'm Latino and I have all this pride. Well, screw that. I mean, these people exist, right? Yeah. But if I'm going to play that, I want to be able to play it, play it to a level that's as real and as gray as possible. Yeah. The world is so gray. You know, we have yeah. archetypes, we have stereotypes, right? Working with archetypes is important. And I've learned that now. Anyway, I can go on and on. But I saw it whenever it came out. And <clears throat> it was, at the time, it was already my favorite movie of that year. It, it was just so good. And that scene... In particular, I put up there with, you know, the uh, Christoph Waltz scene at the farmhouse and Inglorious Bastards, as far as like. That's good writing, though. You yeah. Know, you yeah. know, because, because, because everything, everything you in Sicario, um, and by the way, oh my gosh, that, that movie, Inglorious Bastards, is amazing. So good. And that actor's phenomenal. Even, even the gentleman who played the French farmer was just. Right. I mean, they were all exceptional uh, performers. But in this case, I was lucky because um, the story about my character, who I am in relation to Benicio's character yeah. was already being slowly leaked through and you started finding tidbits of who he is and what he's done to this man's family. And, right. And so by the time you get to me, you're already anxious. And then of course the soundtrack by Johan Johansson, like, so like, like it's, it, it came from Jaws, right? That's the inspiration was from Jaws. So, oh, okay. So, so you're getting, you're so you're getting all of that stimuli right from the music and then the backstory and benicio's intention that in that, that yes when he sits down with this guy eventually this is the guy through the whole movie they're trying to find and he's having dinner with his family yeah so it wasn't so much about my character it was really more about benicio and what he was capable of mm-hmm. right and when we shot this, the part where he, he kills me and lets my wife live. There's a moment where Benicio gives her this big speech about turning her life over. <laughs> and I, I'm laying, I'm off camera. The, the camera's on him and, and I'm lying there dead, you know, tr- you know, trying to, trying, trying to be there for him, but also knowing he's a great actor. He doesn't need me. And, uh, I'm lying there and, uh, he gives her this speech. And when he's done, he looks over at me. And, and I look at him, and he says to me, too much? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it was too much. <laughs> Meaning this is not, this is not what you want in the movie, yeah. you know? Uh, Cause I, I, and he did it all in Spanish. The whole thing's in Spanish. Wow. Cause he's telling her she needs to leave town with the kids and, you know, get away from here as much, you know, as far away yeah. as possible. And I'm just sitting here going, we've seen this movie before. Right. You know, and that's not who he is. You and haven't then, seen what happens and what actually ends up happening in the, the film, though. Like, that was a shock. To be the hitman and then kill the children. I mean, that, that, that's storytelling. <laughs> so that's the interesting thing about being an actor is that, you know, it's already hard enough doing the audition because it has nothing to do with acting, and it does. Right. But it's not the same process. Think about when you audition, all the things you've done and the auditions you, you've had to turn in and when you get cast, whatever that is that you get cast in, and then you show up and you're like, this is nothing. Yeah. The, the, even my performance is not the same because right. it's all changes. Right. So every, everything I've been, I've done is that I've, I've understood that don't, don't have preconceived ideas. Right. Just go, just go with the flow, you know, be ready and, um, 
trust yourself. You right. Know? And and sometimes everything's already done for you. You know, you're already in wardrobe. You know, you <laughs> that helps I mean, a lot. Just I mean, being in the wardrobe. That's half the battle. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, look at all the things you guys are doing. You know, you know, in the show you're in. I yeah. Mean, it's insane. You, you, you guys look. You look the part. Right. You know, and the sets are amazing. And like you explained to me earlier about Utah, about how they've recreated Israel and yeah. how it looks and the and the moldings of the that of goes the such stones. a long way. Yeah. So, yeah. so really, there's. I mean, there's only there's not much for you to do except just be present. Yeah. It's easy to overthink everything. You also talking about trying to please people. Uh, I'm going back a little bit. Whenever you're talking about uh, how you want that validation and you want uh, other people to to recognize what you're doing, and and even beyond that, going into the auditions, you want to please the casting director. You want to please the directors. Once you book it, you want to please your agent. You want to please everyone. Um, but if you're going in with like this result result oriented mindset where the goal is to please someone else or to make them happy or to make them validate you or for whatever, even if it's like uh, for the the finished product to be great, which we all want that obviously. But if that's the ultimate goal, you're going to be let down more times than not. And if your ultimate goal is just to service the material and to service the character and to enjoy the process, you're going to be a lot happier. And that's it wasn't until the last several years that I kind of realized that and stopped going into auditions being like, okay, I got to make this casting director happy and give them what they want. And now I, I go into it thinking, I'm just going to present to them what I, my take on this character and enjoy doing it, whether or not I book it. And that's like made a world of difference for me. Yeah. Um, you, yeah. You're right. I mean, I think, I think it's a, it's a trap, right? Yeah. It's, it's a trap. So if you go in there thinking that usually for me, when I go into a set, yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, I, I, I have to own it and say, okay, look, I'm nervous. And so when I say that out loud, I'm like, okay, good. That diffuses the nervousness now. Yeah. That diff- Now I acknowledge it. Because one thing would be if I'm hiding it. Yeah. If I'm hiding it. It's, it's all gonna, bottled up. It's all bottled up and then it's going to creep up on me and then and it's going to sabotage me. That's important, acknowledging it and accepting it. It's it's okay to be nervous. Like it's yeah, part of it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and, and having that sense of purpose. I mean, when I was yeah. doing uh, – Cowboys and Aliens, I remember I was in a, a, a this little restaurant bar called El Farol there in Santa Fe. And uh, it was John Favreau and uh, Walton was there, Sam Rockwell, um, so good. Harrison Ford. And we were at this little bar having drinks and food. There was a little food going around. And it, it was getting kind of loud. People were dancing. It was a little tiny place too, but a beautiful place. And uh, everyone steps out to get some fresh air. And I go along with them. And, and uh, at one point, Everybody breaks away, and I'm left with Harrison Ford. And I had already been working on the set quite a while, but I, I, you know, it was always like superficial small talk. And so finally, I thought I got my chance with Harrison. Like, what am I? I got, I got to ask him this, you know. So I ask him. I say, I say, uh, Mr. Ford. And he says, Harrison. I'm like, okay, Mr. Ford. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't dare call him Harrison. And I said, uh, how do you feel knowing that there are children all over the world who've seen you in Star Wars? And know that somehow you're this, you still have left an impression on them that, you know, they, they idolize that character. And in many ways, they love you. And then he, he looks at me. He says, I had nothing to do with that. I said, but you're so humble about it. I mean, you just throw it away like it's no big deal. He says, he says uh, humility will get you nowhere fast. Uh, I'm no different than the sound man. He goes, when you walk on the set, you got to find your utility. And then I said, uh, you, what do you mean utility? You're useful, no son, you know? And I was like, oh, yeah. He goes, yeah. He says, you walk on a set, you have to have a sense of purpose. And then he just looked at me and that gave me a big hug because he was a little tipsy, yeah. you know? <laughs> and I was, like, I was like, oh, man, Harrison, dude, you know? It was, it was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, I think, I think what happens in our industry is that there's too much celebrity obsession mm-hmm. with it all. And then when you, when you end up working with people that have been amped up, amplified, have been elevated, maybe even worshipped, idolized, it's, it's too much pressure for them. Yeah. And at the same time, some of them believe it. Right. You know, and some of them don't. I mean, and so. That's why you see so many of these meltdowns. Oh, without like, a doubt. Like, the, without a doubt. And I think in the end, 
what I'm more grateful about is knowing that, you know, this is a craft mm -hmm. and I'm going in to affect a story, not to impress people, you know? And, and so that's how I talk to myself. Yeah. And that's how I get around me being hard on myself. I'm hard on myself because, you know, now you got the job. Yeah. Now you got to do it. Now you got to show what you're made of. And sometimes it's not so much about, are they going to like me? Are they going to like my performance? It's more like, did I do what I was supposed to do? It's not coming from a place of like anxiety or stress, maybe as much exactly. as before. Exactly. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm mentioning Tommy's film, The Three Burials. You know, I, that was a film that I did that went to Cannes. It went to Palm d'Or Awards at yeah. the Cannes Film Festival. And that was one of your, your first big, big yeah. things, right? Yeah, yeah. That, was, that, that was the thing that kind of changed the course of my life in terms of what I was being offered. Right? Yeah. Before it was a lot of day player stuff. And to make a long story short, Tommy Lee Jones, basically when he cast me, Tommy says, well, it'll behoove you to come work with the best cowboys and the best horses in this country. If you want to play this role. And I was like, well, yes, sir. I, well, if you're offering it to me and then he says, but I'm not going to pay you. I've never been paid to prepare for a role. I was like, well, I'm fine. I'm not asking for money. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then I, uh, yeah, I ended up on his ranch and the, the WD, which he has sold since, and, uh, you know, 117,000 acre ranch, which wow. is insane. And, uh, yeah, I showed up on his ranch and I, first day I got there, I was fixing a, a one of the uh, broken pipes in their water irrigation system and, uh, was tied to two of their ranch hands, two brothers that worked for Tommy. I became a real ranch hand. I was a real ranch hand on Tommy's ranch a month prior to filming. Wow. And I got, I got into fights. I go to the bar with one of the brothers and people would bitch about Tommy all day because, you know, he didn't give them money to build the clinic or whatever. And I'd be there defending him. Like, why should he give you money? You know, he can decide what he wants. And by the time we started rolling, I wasn't, I never felt like an actor. I wasn't acting, but yeah, I mean, it's a process and you know, it's, it's not something, you know, we treat, we treat acting as this thing, but it's, it's, it's organic. Yeah. And every one of them is different, you know? And it's a very complex thing because you have to be astute. You have to be not rigid. You have to be present. You also have to be able to use your your wit and your intellect to have to really affect the role and play with your body, physicality, you know, yeah. your appearances. So it is a process. Right. Depends on what I'm doing, you know. Sometimes you don't have time to prepare. So you just go into your imagination trying to figure it all. But you're you're wanting to create as many allies to help you in that effort. You know? Yeah. You learning from from someone like Tommy Lee Jones early on. I've always really admired his just straightforwardness and he's he's not going to sugarcoat anything. He's That's, very just blunt and uh I love those guys though. Yeah, yeah. They know what they want. I feel like that helps prepare you for this industry. Oh, and, it sh it shapes you. It 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 informs you that whatever you get is what you've earned. He's a very complex man. He's a loving man. I've seen sides of him that I wish people could see. Yeah. But, you know, we live, like I said, we live in a celebrity-obsessed world where, you know, there was a, there was a reporter, uh, his, his name is Bayless, Skip Bayless. Right, yeah. Yeah, and he writes for the Texas Monthly. And when we were filming the Three Burials, well, we were done with the Three Burials, uh, he was interviewing me for an article on Texas Monthly, which he never included me in it in the end, because he was trying to see if he can pull up some dirt on Tommy. And um, I just felt like that was inappropriate. Like you know, he's kind of known for, for yeah. that kind of stuff. And so, so he was asking, he was asking Tommy about his marriages, and Tommy was because and he was riding in the truck with Tommy and and Wes, uh, Tommy's uh, uh, assistant. And uh, yeah, the guy just got too personal, and, and they stopped off at a gas station to pick up some a drink or whatever, and they just left him there. Wow. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, the poor guy was, you know, middle of nowhere in a gas station, you know. Wow. Yeah, and I would have done the same thing. And yeah. so so I, you know, that's why I love people like your grandfather and, yeah. and Tommy because no nonsense. <clears throat> well, yeah, because I feel like, you know, you got to have thick skin, you got to know who you are because in this industry, you're going to get run over if you don't. People want to mimic or emulate yeah. who they think they're supposed to be. They haven't figured out who they who they should be, which yeah. is themselves. So when you say when you go on set and you realize why well, I, I gotta be more me yeah and that's interesting that's way more interesting right yeah and I mean, there's something some attractive about people that 
there's a difference between being cocky or conceited and being just confident in who you are and yeah. or comfortable with who yeah. you are. And, and, uh, but there's something that it, you're drawn towards people that are sure of themselves and that yeah. are just confident and they accept themselves, even the things that they're insecure about or the, their flaws or whatever. They're just like, this is me. And yeah. they're not ashamed of it. During the three burials, um, when he should have been promoting the film, which he did, he did, he did do yeah. that a lot. But he he avoided talking about the movie. He talked more about his horses or yeah. his daughter, you know, Victoria being in it. Uh, he avoided really selling the film. Yeah, he he just he just wanted to talk about everything but that. It that's it shows someone like that is in it for the right reasons, and it's he wants he made something he believes in. He enjoyed the process of it, and uh, that's like he doesn't really care about the rest. And I think that's. I think that's smart. I think, yeah, it's a healthy mindset. I, I think. I think because of the actor world we're in, I think that because of social media. I mean, I'm, I mean, look, I'm on Instagram myself, but I, uh, I think we've lost the mystery. Yeah, of actors. You know, now we know too much about them. Yeah, nowadays with TikTok and everything, there's there's also this instant gratification thing where all you have to do is a 10 second video and it goes viral and then now all of a sudden you're getting all of this attention so now society in general everyone just wants to be famous everyone's chasing after that fame and it's so it seems so accessible now but it's like it's sad that we now use views or likes or shares or comments to gauge our self-worth and i think it's a it's a dangerous a dangerous game yeah it is but you know it's also a tool because i i got a uh I got a role in a short film called Manos de Oro, Hands right. of Gold. I and worked with the DP for that uh, earlier oh, last Mark, year. Yeah, Mark, yeah, with Mark. Yeah. yeah, so so I I met Mark through uh, the young director Merced Elizondo. Somehow he ended up on my feed, and I commented on something he said. He he graduated from UT, and um, I commented about, "Hey, man, just you keep doing your thing," you know, kind of words of encouragement. Yeah, I don't know him, but. I was impressed with, you know, what he was trying to do. And later he ends up writing me saying, Hey, he, he has this script and he would like to me for me to read it. And uh, I'm open to all that sort of thing. You know, yeah. Instagram is, I've met so many phenomenal people that I would have not otherwise have met right. through Instagram. And that is, cause I see it as a tool, right? Anyway, this, so this, so Merced had, uh, uh, sent me the script and I said, look, this is not the script I would probably do right now. It needs some work. But I'm more than happy to sit down with you, and I've got notes. And if you want to take down the notes, then you know that hopefully it'll help. He said yes, so we met up at a coffee shop there in Fort Worth, and uh, yeah, he took it. Took it for two and a half hours, telling him what a crappy script it was. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little too hard, but that's just the way I am. And I think that's again going back to Tommy and someone like your grandfather, where I'm like, look, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not. The, the best script it's a good i mean it's a good story but it's not a good script and it's not something i'd be interested in doing only because you have too many characters in a short story and and you, yeah the audience is going to get lost too much yeah <laughs> anyway so we went through all the notes make a long story short and then he sends me a, a new draft and i'm sure it's several drafts into it and it and it turns out to be a very 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 good script and that's when i said okay i'm in and uh, i believed in him so much that um i said don't pay me not gonna, wow. you're not, gonna, not only are you not going to pay me, let me help you out with all the other characters. And so I got one of the actors who, who's a great actor. His name is Jero Medina. He's on a, uh, he was in uh, Narcos Mexico season two as well. He's one of the, uh, the agents, Mexican agents. And uh, he played my son. I got him to come oh, out. Cool. And, yeah. They took care of his expenses and paid him for it. and Went through his agency. And um, who, by the way, will be in a film called Somos on Netflix. Okay, it's a it's a it's a, it's a powerful film about a massacre uh, in Mexico. Wow! Uh, by by uh, drug lords. Anyway, um, and then I got Richard Jackson to come play uh, one of the other characters, and he was in No Country for Old Men. Yeah, he was yeah. the chicken farmer, right? Yeah. And so I got I got them to come out and play. And anyway, so my whole point about Instagram and social media is that. You can engage people in right. the right way. But yeah, that was a great experience. And, and this kid's just so talented. I hope you get to meet him. I've messaged him before oh, on, really? on Facebook. Oh, wow. um, I just said, you know, I, I looked up some of his stuff and I was like, hey, it looks like you're doing some some cool stuff and just wanted to say hi. So uh, 
yeah, I'd, I'd love to to meet him or work with him on something. No, like he's it. he's Seems great. Cool. You had shared something uh, like a still or BTS pick, which I love your photography, by the way. Oh, thanks. Um, I, I got a camera recently. So I've been any project I've worked on, I've brought it with me because I want to have all of that for, you know, down the road. It's really cool. Photography is another way that I engage my, my fellow actors. Yeah. And when they see the level of work that I do, they participate. Right. And so I've been photographing uh, everything around me, and especially on sets. Yeah. There's a reason why I have a photograph, not just one, but I have several photographs of your grandfather. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's not, you know, everywhere I go, that's what I do. And for the most part, you know, actors are love photography. You yeah. Know, we're being filmed. We, we see lights. We see how things work on a set. But that... That adds more value to me as an actor when I'm on set because I'm not, you know, when when you're with actors and you probably know this from talking to your grandfather is that you, we don't talk about actor stuff. We're not talking yeah, about usually we're, not. Yeah, we're usually talking about what's your favorite recipe. You yeah, know, you know what do you, you watch like a Cowboys game yeah, last night? Exactly. Yeah, just normal stuff. Just normal stuff. But photography brings it to a whole other level. And then when they see what you can do with the camera, they they love it and they love that you're documenting. Yeah. Then you get to share those photographs with them. You know? Yeah. You can have a, a really cool coffee table book one of these days. Oh, my God. Well, I'm going to be working on one now. Oh, Dumb, really? A dummy book. Yeah. Uh, the, the the amount of photographs that I have now, I have amassed. Yeah. It's pretty insane. I'm sure. And so I have this little Instagram account called Julio's Photos. Photo, okay. Julio's Photos. And it's uh, it's it's uh, uh, Photos is with an F. Okay. Because it's in Spanish. In Spanish, yeah, yeah. The Julio, Julio's photos. And uh, you'll see portraits and tons of people. Yeah. Tons and tons That's of That's awesome. I'm going to follow, as soon as we're done. Yeah, no, I'm you'll see. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. But hey, man, thank you so much for inviting me. Of course, me. of course. I really I, before it. we go, I was going to ask you, so one, name something you love about yourself. Uh, that's how I always try to end them. And right, then anything right. else you want to plug or promote, uh, then you can do that too. So something <laughs> well, you love about yourself. Yeah. You know, I I think what I do know I love about myself is that as 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 hard as I am on myself, I love people. Yeah, I very much love people. You know, I lo- I lost my dad last year. Oh wow! Yeah, he he passed away of cancer. Sorry it was, to hear it that. Was ter- it was a, yeah, it was terminal. It was pretty pretty severe. And um, you know, my dad was going to be eighty four. You know, wow. he was, he was 83 when he passed. He was just a few months away from being 84 and truck driver all his life. And he was a dump truck driver up until he was 82. Wow. And, uh, yeah. So my dad had a strong work ethic. I mean, that man worked all the way till the end and, uh, we got him home and, uh, yeah, he passed away right in front of us. I saw him take his last breath and I'm sitting there looking at my dad and, and I think about that's all of us. Yeah. And everyone has a story. My dad certainly had a story. And so when I see people, I know there's someone there with a lot of love and pain and a lot of concerns and worries. And it's a short, we have a short life, you know? And I have to say the reason I love people is because of my dad. Because we would pick up hitchhikers. Wow. You know, my dad said, you know, you know, pull over here, get over here. We got to pick that guy up. And then, you know, here we are picking up, you know, some random people, you know, and my dad just felt like, you know, people needed help. He's yeah. helped so many people get jobs. We were coming from South Texas and, uh, I did, we had a little camper and it was near, uh, we we're just coming from Laredo. And, uh, I was in the back with my little brother who's now a detective, homicide detective. And, uh, this one guy's waving off, you know, he, he wants to get picked up. As soon as my dad pulls up, there's like three more guys jump out of the weeds. Wow. And they all jump in the back of the camper. And of course it's just me and my brother. Of course, my mom is up front with my other two siblings. And, and, uh, and anyway, so this, one of these guys smells like smoke. And when I look at the back of his jacket, most of his jacket's gone because they used it to start a fire to stay warm that night. Wow. Yeah, and then my dad, instead of going straight home, he drove over to Fredericksburg uh, because he wanted to. He said, "Well, I'll go visit my uncle, and while we're there, we'll get these kids, uh, uh, you know, some food and get them, get them some clothes." So 
we uh, we got to my dad's uncle's house and yeah, we fed these people we didn't know and wow. gave them some clothes. And then as they were talking, they talked about people they knew in Fort Worth and Dallas or whatever, or no, Fort Worth. And, and my dad said, okay, well, maybe I can get you a job. And that's what my dad did. He helped all three of them get jobs. That's so cool. And that's my that's always been my dad. So my dad could talk to anyone and any, everybody. And I remember asking him about uh, his life. You know, we, we talked about civil rights a lot. And one time he said to me, he goes, you know, I know people talk about white people having a water fountain and black folks having a water fountain. But Mexicans didn't have a water fountain. Yeah. And he says, you know, we couldn't drink out of either of those fountains. We had to find a way to uh, uh, satisfy that thirst. He goes, you can't depend on the world. You got to depend on yourself. He says, but along the way, you got to help others. And that's what I like about myself. Because, you know, it's not hard being decent. It's not hard saying good morning. Yeah. You know, and I remember when I first met you, you have that same spirit. Thanks. You're a very inviting human being. And that's huge. That is huge. That's, that's uh, gigantic. You know, uh, you're bigger than life when you can be accepting. Yeah. And you can diffuse people right away. It's much easier to be nice than to walk around with some kind of weird grudge or some political rant or yeah it's insane you know life is gray everybody wants to paint it black and white yeah you know so that's what i like about myself it's apparent too that you had that type of role model and your dad because i feel the same way about you i you are and the interactions we've had whether it's in person or you know texting or on the phone or here you can just genuinely see that you care about other people and love other people and want to connect with other people. And um, I think that's really neat because especially nowadays, so many people are so distracted and focused on other things that aren't important. And you seem like someone who has priorities in order and, and knows what is important to you. And you're going to give those things uh, the attention that, that they're, that they deserve. And I think that that's really, really cool and admirable. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. And yeah. that's the other thing I've learned to say thank you. Yeah. Because compliments are not my thing. I'm not good at compliments. <laughs> you know? I'm not good at receiving them I either. Know, so I know, but, but I did learn, I've learned that, you know, we should appreciate when people say something nice because, you know, it's, it's respectful. And yeah. I really, I appreciate that. Thank of you course. so much. So do you have any, anything coming up or any projects getting released soon? Yeah. So, you know, I did, like I told you, I did that film, The Harder They Fall. I had so much fun. And it was probably one of the most fun shoots I've had in a long time. Nice. Because it's a, I love Westerns. It's a quick it's a quick draw gunfight. It's with one of the best up-and-coming up actors, Jonathan Majors yeah. from Lovecraft on HBO. James Samuel, who's like first time directing a feature, you know, he's like, he was, he was amazing. One of, the, one of my favorite comments he made when we did the scene a couple of times is I'm looking at him like for feedback and he, and he, and he's got this beautiful a gap between his teeth and beautiful smile because he would, he pulled, he pulled, and the reason I know this because he pulled down his mask because usually he was talking to me through his mask, but he pulls down his mask and he says, no notes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yes, that's always and, good uh, to hear. Yeah. And then, and then it turned into two days. Uh, I was only supposed to work one day Yeah, and it turned into two days. So, the harder they fall is the next thing I've got. Other than that, well, that's patience. awesome, man. Yeah. Well, again, man, thanks so much for of course. This. And, I, and I've enjoyed the sh your show. I mean, you've had so many thank you great people on that have had uh, a lot of experience and a lot of uh, uh, great advice. Yeah. You know, and beginning with your first episode, I think that's great that you're doing this. Thank you so much. I appreciate yeah. it, and I'm I'm really glad that we were able to. Uh, to to get you out here and do it in person it, yeah. it really makes a big difference so yeah no yeah. Without a doubt yeah definitely. thank you man. all right brother thank you so much awesome thank you so that was my conversation with julio i hope all of you enjoyed it and like i said in the intro he's just so genuine and has such a big heart and i think that uh it's it's so cool whenever you meet people like that that are not only successful in this industry but they're in it for the right reasons they're they're just good people like you can't help but root for someone like Julio. We talked about a lot of his his films and projects. I can't wait for the harder they fall. 
since we recorded that episode, the trailer has been released. So be sure to go watch that trailer because you will see some uh, a few glimpses of Julio in it. But he's he's truly great and everything that scene in Sicario, man, it's that genuinely is one of my favorite movie scenes of the past decade, probably of this century of the 2000s. Go follow him on social media. Like he said, uh, Julio's Fotos is where he posts a lot of his photography. He has really, really nice portraits of like Walton Goggins and Sam Rockwell and Michael Pena and, you know, all of these these iconic actors. Uh, and it's really, really cool to to see um, to see all of these people through Julio's lens. I'm really glad that I I got to talk to Julio and I hope all of you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, but now is the time for me to announce my next guest. So next week, I'm going to be interviewing my second cast member from Breaking Bad. I've already interviewed Charlie Baker, who plays Skinny Pete. Uh, but now I'm going to be interviewing R.J. Mitty, who played Walter Jr. And uh, the fun thing about that interview is I got close to uh, booking Walter Jr. Back whenever I was living in L.A., they wanted actors who actually have cerebral palsy to come in and audition. And I did. And it was one of those things where um, I, for the first time, I think, in my career, I was asked to kind of um, emphasize my my disability, my limp. And uh, instead of hide it. And that was a really weird experience. But I got pretty far along uh, in the process and, you know, was getting really good feedback. And then eventually it just it didn't happen. And uh, I was really, really upset and really hurt and really bitter and had a lot of of animosity towards RJ, to be honest. I, I didn't watch the show for the first couple of seasons because I was like, whatever, screw that show. Like I, this show's going to be stupid. I bet the actor they got sucks. And, uh, I was just being a little, a little, like I was just kind of being like a little brat. Um, but then finally I started watching it. I think around when the third season came out, it was starting to gain steam and, and get a, and reach a larger audience. And I was hearing all of these great things, so I was like, whatever, fine, I'll watch it. And uh, after the first episode, I was just totally hooked. And uh, I now it is my all time favorite show. But it was nice to, you know, bury the hatchet and get to know him and 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 talk to him about his journey. And uh, there's some cool parallels in, in both of our stories as well. So I can't wait for all of you to hear that. And um, yeah, but until then, if you know anyone or if anyone comes to mind that you think has a story that people would like to hear on this podcast, something they've struggled with, an insecurity, obstacles they've had to overcome, and they have some sort of following, whether they're a public figure, an actor, a musician, an athlete, whatever it may be. Uh, let me know. Message me on my social media pages at What's Your Limp or uh, go to at the Jordan Ross on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and uh, let me know there. And maybe I can get them or you, if you're the person that you're thinking of, uh, on the show. That would be great. Just remember to love your limp. I hope all of you have a great week. And uh, last but not least, enjoy this original outro music by Devin Levi. And again, go follow him at Devin Levi Music. I'll talk to you all next week.